0: Okay, so uh, <clears throat> what I'm going to attempt to do each week is have a handout, and I may I may uh, eventually try to, um, um, you'll get at least something similar to that if I can figure out a way to give you a little bit more graphic information, some more visuals on there. I will, but a lot of these um, maps and charts are just, they're so big, it's hard to find ones that will, that are, that are good, you know, you know, if you're trying to look at a map of the world and it's that big on your piece of paper, you kind of lose them. So that's part of my challenge is finding resources that, uh, what I would love to do is have, a map of the world up here for you to be able to see like I have in my classroom. Um, But we don't at this point, but maybe we'll get there because we're gonna be on this for a little while. By the time we get our new school bill, Yeah, by the time we get our new school built. Yeah. Or maybe when we get back in the sanctuary, we can put it up on the big screen or the bigger screen okay so last week we kind of um um, i kind of talked ahead and we said we were going to talk about the ice age um and so i'm starting actually with the flood because the flood is why we had the ice age so i do have this book that um is called the the annals of the world it's a, it's a massive tomb that basically records the timeline of history. And um, it's a just a big book. It's got a big chart. The chart in the hallway goes with this book. That's what that chart, that chart is a visual of this book. All right, so, uh, the flood is dated at 2349 BC. There's lots of there. There are a number of different ways that things are dated. We're gonna we're gonna use BC and AD. So we're gonna be in BC for a long time. Uh, BC meaning before Christ, um, before his birth. AD is not after death. It's anno domino, which Uh, is not it's not after his death it's after his birth so the birth of Christ is what marks uh, that divides BC and AD and we're going to just stick with BC um, versus some of the other dating mechanisms that that are used here Um, and so 2,349 years before the birth of Christ, based on the genealogies is where we get the date of the flood. Genesis 7, 11. So how many of you, um, I find this interesting, a lot of Christians think the flood happened because it rained for 40 days. And it did rain for 40 days and 40 nights, but it didn't just rain for 40 days and 40 nights. So Genesis 7, 11 describes this catastrophic uh, upheaval that resulted in the flood and it describes the flood by saying the fountains of the great deep were broken up and the windows of heaven were opened. So that means that waters poured forth to flood the earth from below As well as from above. I read an article last year, uh, maybe it was a couple of years ago, time flies you know, Um, but it was an interesting article. Uh, uh, It revolved around technology uh, that had come about in research related to that technology in oil exploration and because of new technology with oil, uh, concerning oil exploration, a theory that uh, geologists have had for many years—that there is actually more water inside the Earth than there are than there is water in the oceans—they've had this theory, but they've had no way to prove it. But uh, somehow, in a process, I don't really understand. But uh, in this article, through Exploring for oil, they have now proven that there are vast oceans of water inside the earth. Uh, of course, we already knew that because the Bible tells us that. So all that water, when God broke up the great fountains of the deep, and all that water poured forth to flood the earth, well, where did all that water go? Well, it went back into the earth. But it didn't just come from within the earth, it also came from or through the windows of heaven. And if some of you have been through Dr. Larry's um, 13 week course on creation science, and he has uh, at least one, if not more than one lesson on the water vapor, the the vapor barrier, um, which, they believe, and it's, it's really a pretty compelling argument, that this water barrier uh, that would have been probably, I think he said, what, 30 feet deep uh, surrounding the earth, that's what filtered out all the gamma rays, all the uh, harmful radiation, which would have contributed to the long life of plants and animals and living things along with the multiple atmospheres that it would have basically created. So the atmospheric pressure would have been much greater. So that's how dinosaurs with giant sets of lungs could have lived on the earth because the atmospheric pressure would have been much greater. Well, when God broke up the fountains of the deep and waters poured forth from within the earth, To flood it he also the bible says open the windows of heaven which would have been the collapse of this water barrier that surrounded the earth however thick it was however deep it was and so between those two uh, sources of water the earth was flooded and and so with that breaking up of the fountains of the deep there would have been cataclysmic uh, movements of uh, of the plates that forms uh, the continents and the earth's crust and so you know uh, geologists and the guys that study earthquakes tell us you know the the plates are all fragmented and broken up and well how did they get fragmented and broken up well they have their theories through evolution in um, plate tectonics but the Bible simply says that God broke up the great fountains of the deep uh, so it's kind of like God just went cracked everything and all the water came out and along with that there would have been um, steam volcanoes we know there are underwater volcanoes and so All of that would have contributed to creating steam and ash and clouds. And as a result of the flood, the earth cooled. And so after the flood, we date the ice age around 2300 B.C., and it lasted almost a 1,000 years to about 1600 B.C. And so the Ice Age was this time in Earth's history that followed those catastrophic events, geological events that brought about the flood. And as a result of these cataclysmic events in the geology of the Earth, the Earth cooled to a point. So think about it. uh, Not just the Earth was cooled, but the atmosphere with clouds and dust and rain and and all of that would have cooled to the point that snow did not melt. And so in, the, in, in parts of the earth, not, not all of the earth, but in parts of the earth, as the earth cooled, snow that began to fall constantly, began to accumulate because it just formed these sheets of ice that it never melted, and it just became deeper and deeper and deeper. So for instance, today Greenland, it's called Greenland, and then you have this little island called Iceland, but Greenland is actually covered in ice. It's covered in sheets of ice. Antarctica is covered in sheets of ice still today. Um, The Great Lakes, so as a result of the Ice Age, there were these, um, they're called Kettle Lakes. And it's where glaciers would have sunk into the earth and then melted. That is what formed the Great Lakes. The, I think the Great Lakes are the largest source of fresh water. Um, they're the largest freshwater lakes. And all that fresh water came from glaciers that melted. And so you see these evidences of the ice age, and it's not just the kettle lakes across the northern hemisphere of of the earth, uh, but you also see where glaciers, glaciers are just sheets of ice that are on slopes and they're sliding down slopes and they carve out valleys or fjords. Um, And so we drive through parts of Uh, of the earth like, uh, you know, great parks in the mountains and we see these valleys that were literally carved out by glaciers that have created this beauty all around us. And so um, if we think about the ice age that lasted almost a thousand years and it covered one third of the earth. So for instance, in North America, Ice sheets would have extended as far south as, say, Missouri, you know, northern Missouri, the Ohio River Valley, uh, all of Canada, Scandinavia, um, northern England would have been covered in ice. In Europe, there's evidence that, that those ice sheets came and covered as far south as Germany. Uh, in Asia, ice would have extended all across northern Russia. Um, in the southern hemisphere, Antarctica um, would have extended up into the oceans. The ice would have traveled up into the oceans. The oceans would have froze and, uh, up to the, the tip of South America. Under the ice of Antarctica, we know there, there is evidence at one time, Antarctica, uh, there were palm trees growing there. Now, how did palm trees get in Antarctica? Well, it means that Antarctica wasn't always covered with ice. And when you think about the earth pre-flood, surrounded by this water barrier, it would have created uh, an earth that basically had a, a constant temperature. You would not have these extremes, these polar extremes where you have ice caps on each of the the poles and then you get warmer as you reach the equator the it would have been a much more constant temperature there would not have been ice poles that existed there and the evidence seems to indicate that that was the case so this idea today of climate change and global warming and we're thinking that you know uh, all the ice is going to melt and flood everything is really kinda silly. Um, It's not going to melt and flood everything. Uh, There have always probably been less ice than there is right now uh, at times uh, in Earth's history. Some people would say that we're living in somewhat of an ice age because you have those areas of the Earth still under sheets of ice. And we know that Greenland, for instance, hasn't always been under sheets of ice. Uh, well, what caused Greenland to freeze, and what what caused Greenland to be thawed out when there were no CO2 emissions coming from cars or cows? Cows, you know. I guess there's always been cows, but but not, you know, we have we haven't multiplied them to, you know eat large quantities of meat. So cars and cows and all that, that that didn't exist in the quantities or exist at all in those times in Earth's history. Why was there no ice in Greenland, but now there is? Well, I submit to you that was a result of the great flood of Noah. And so as a result of this, man survived in those areas in the two-thirds of the earth that was not covered by sheets of ice so if you just you know can picture a globe there's one right back there and you you see how the earth is formed you know as you get to the wider part kind of like you know when I was in Ethiopia I was much closer to the equator and the only reason it was as cool as it was where I was in Ethiopia is because we were at a pretty high elevation and it was their winter so in in uh october we were we were coming out of the end of their summer moving into their i'm sorry into the end of their uh, winter moving into the warmer summer months and in So when you get to the equator there, much hotter. So if you think about where civilization was birthed according to the evolutionist. So this is another claim to fame for Ethiopia. Who knows what was discovered in Ethiopia? Anybody know her name? Lucy. Lucy was discovered in Ethiopia. They don't like to talk about what Lucy really is. um, Because they didn't really have a whole human. They have parts of bones. And so what they found out uh, in, in a lot of these is they're actually looking at bones of animals and not bones of humans. Uh, but Lucy is the claim to fame. She's supposedly that, that's why they will many will say that there in Africa in Ethiopia that is the cradle of of humanity. Well, a lot of and we're going to talk about another place here in a little bit. But when we think about after the flood. So after the flood, think about what would have been lost. We talked about last week the technology of ancient man. In instance, uh, Tubal Cain and Jubal. Tubal Cain was the father of those who work with metal. And so we talked about working with metal, and in the Bible specifically says iron and bronze. And Tubal-Cain was the seventh generation from Adam. So seven generations from Adam, the Bible tells us that man was working with iron and bronze. That is is pretty advanced technology. To be able to mine ore from the ground and then take that dirt and turn it into iron or bronze is is pretty advanced technology for man. so when the flood happens, there are eight souls that are saved in the ark, along with all the animals. So you think about the amount of knowledge, uh, if it wasn't completely lost, when you come off the ark, you're on an earth that has been destroyed by a flood and there has to be a rebuilding And I don't think um, it took nearly as long for man to rebuild as we might think that it would have. And I think we're tempted to think that, that this takes such long periods of time because of the evolutionary model. So the theory of evolution tells us it took billions and billions of years for man to even, for life to even come to be. And then once life, you know, was found in that puddle of water, then that life has got to turn into all the various life forms around us, you know, from grasshoppers to oak trees to little piglets that are born to human beings and everything in between. And and that took billions, hundreds of billions of years to happen. It, well, the Bible doesn't record it that way. The Bible records that God created the heavens and the earth, he created the life, and he created man, fully formed, and obviously that fully formed man possessed knowledge. Now we can talk about where did that knowledge come from, and some people say it was the fallen angels who gave man knowledge they weren't supposed to have. But why, it doesn't say it was a sin for Tubal Cain to possess the knowledge to make iron and bronze how do we know that that God didn't give man that knowledge so from Adam and his descendants seven generations down that knowledge would have been finally refined in Tubal Cain who who then began to teach men how to work with iron or Jubal who began to teach men how to make and play and and he's the father of music. But after the flood, there would, there would have been a lot lost or a lot that would have to be rebuilt. So let's think about, for instance, this idea that mankind, we've all, I, don't, I wish I had the graphic, but I don't have it, but you've all seen it, right? You've all seen the graphic of, of um, you know, where life begins from nothing and then it evolves into these upright life forms. You know, then we get monkeys and apes and then you have the man, the, the Neanderthal man. And you got this succession of evolution or this advancement in evolution. And it took billions and billions of years for us to get a man through evolution well the Bible doesn't at all present that um, theory the Bible tells us God did that and so from that evolutionary theory where did man live for a long time while he was hiding out from dinosaurs and trying to figure out you know what to do with himself and how to survive because he was too stupid to build a house, so he had to live in what? Caves. Caves, cavemen. And we've all seen the pictures of the cavemen dragging their women by the hair and with a club over his shoulder, you know, just stupid men, stupid humanity. Well, why, and there is no doubt evidence people lived in caves. Well, why might people have lived in caves? Because they weren't stupid is exactly right. So if you think post flood, and you got eight people that come off an ark, uh, and you don't have a house yet, and you don't have the tools and the means to build you a ready-made house, like there's no, there's no place to order a house kit, and you just got to put it together, you know, no tents where would be the logical place man would go to to live in a cave that makes perfect sense until man gets to a place where he can begin to build structures and we we see and we know from history that it did not take man long to begin to rebuild structures but until that Time came, or maybe why would you want to build a structure if you could live in a perfectly good cave? Maybe you don't want to. If you live in a climate that is is pleasant enough, nice enough, temperate enough, living in a cave might be exactly what is best for you. It's cool in the summertime. It's warm in the wintertime. And so we've been conditioned to think of cavemen as not fully evolved human, humanoids, homo sapiens, who just aren't quite smart enough yet to to do anything else. And I want you to change that paradigm. I want you to have a, a new paradigm of thinking about mankind, that it would have been absolutely smart and logical to live in caves until man came to a place where he could begin to rebuild civilization. One of the things that Dr. Larry points out in his uh, seminar is there's nothing we can find, you know, in terms of everything is dated about, back to, a, to just about the time of the flood, trees, the oldest trees that we know of, they all date back to about the time of the flood. Civilizations civilizations they all date somewhere back about the time of the flood. Yeah, cavemen, we think they lived far earlier. But why would we think that except we want to we want to affirm the theory of evolution, which I submit to you takes more faith to believe than the story of creation. And so the flood happens, the ice age comes, In those areas not covered with ice, man is multiplying and rebuilding civilization. And so as a result of this, multiplication in other areas with the fact that there are tons of ocean water locked up in ice sea levels would drop and when sea levels drop and ice bridges are formed in various parts of the world man is able to travel so for instance those exposed land bridges where where is one How did the people get to North America? If We look at the map today, how'd they get here? Huh? The Bering Strait would have been a land bridge. So with all of this salt water locked up in ice, the level of the sea would have been lowered and there would have literally been a land bridge there at the Bering Strait that people from Asia would have simply walked across to come to North America. Now think about it, if you've got people who are living in the northern parts of Asia, and it is cold, uh, and they're trying to find other places to live, and they're migrating, let's say from the areas of Ararat, after the Tower of Babel, after man is multiplying and moving and God, that was God's design was to divide the languages so that man would do what? So that man would go out and inhabit the earth. That wasn't a new plan after the flood. That was God's plan at creation. That man would go forth, multiply, and fill the earth with God's image. Take dominion of the earth. The problem after the flood is that man wanted to congregate and stay in one place. And so God came down at the Tower of Babel and confused their language. So as man is beginning to move and migrate at God's prompting and humanity travels east across Asia... During the time of the Ice Age, man would have walked across that land bridge into North America. And we know that they went all the way from that Bering Strait into North America and all the way down into South America. Eventually, man made it all the way to South America. We we know that because we've got the history. The archeology, span we've got the evidence to prove it. And as we look at some of those cultures in time, we're gonna see that there are some things that are very similar. Like, why are they building ziggurats in South America? That's what they built over in the Middle East, in Asia, right off the ark. So those land bridges, so For instance, the Bering Strait connected Asia with North America. Well, the same type of land bridges would have connected the British Isles with the European mainland. How did the people get from Europe to the British Isles and to Ireland in those other areas? You say, well, they built boats and they went. No there was a land bridge they traveled they did this during the ice age same with australia how did people get to australia down there i mean do you realize we'll get this to we'll get to this in our timeline but australia wasn't even discovered by the civilized world and it was very late in history when australia was discovered and guess who was there when the when the civilized world got there there were people in australia well how did they get there well if you look at a world map you'll see that new guinea and indonesia those island chains those would have all been land bridges that would have enabled people from asia to migrate south into the australian continent and populate that continent and so this is how the world after the flood and and during the ice age so we might say this that after the flood I think it's fair to say that God brought about the ice age so that man could go and travel and migrate to other parts of the world alright any thoughts about that the ice age and that migration of man said it, but do you believe that there were that the earth was like um, more connected together oh that's that's a great flood. i didn't say that pangea so yeah so again you know if you just look at a, if you look at a map of the world you know if you, you it it looks like you could just pull the world together it fits just like a puzzle and i believe that it absolutely was one mass at one time, and I believe those continents were broken up, and that continental drift took place at the flood. I believe the flood is when a lot of that took place. um Do you think that there's like less land than there was? No. Like what? Where, what was the if it was pangea I think there's. The I think there. I think there is. The possibility that there was uh, more land, more land above water because we know that there are underwater civilizations that once existed above water and and I think the reason they don't is because of the flood. Um, I personally believe that Atlantis it's a legend, I believe it was a real place that existed in the pre-flood world. <clears throat> I think it probably could have been both. Um, uh, definitely some of these places we know of are not that far underwater. So obviously there, there is more water uh, than there was. And, and with the pulling apart of those continents, who knows what would have happened. I think there's a lot gone that we'll never know about because it was literally destroyed and buried in the flood. But if you just look at the world on a map, I mean, there's no doubt it. it, I think it would be silly to say that it wasn't at once one landmass that existed. Also, Marley, with all the places where the water would be, if they were empty and the weight of the water is crushing down, it would be easy for the land to collapse. Mr. Rao? Maybe when the people were scattered, they were already scattered to what? Pelag just say talk about Joban, thinking this joke, in his days the earth was, was Peleg, in, the, in the when Pelag was in the days of Pelag the earth was divided yes and it, it was after the flood, <coughs> after the flood. <clears throat> and we don't really know so we know uh, that's that's a good point let me let me look through let me look here in my big book so, we're basically going to get through what's called the second age of the world, which basically covers the flood and the um, the immediate generations after that. Um, So, prior to Babylon, the Tower of Babel, so if Babel happened in, uh, the date here is 22, um, 2242. So based on the generations uh, given to us in the Scripture, uh, when Eber was 34 years old, Peleg, his son, was born. He called him Peleg for in the days for in his days the earth was divided. If this happened at the day of his birth then it seems that when Peleg was born Noah who formerly knew all the places which were now covered with bushes and thorns divided the land among his grandchildren. When this was done they went from those eastern parts where they first went from the mountain of Ararat into the valley of Shinar. Now this, this is interesting. Um, so there are some people who wonder if when Peleg was born, did God separate the continents? I tend to, to, to not think that because that would have been a very cataclysmic, I mean, if you just think about the continents separating, I think, I think that would have happened while the earth is covered with water and humanity is floating on an ark, and uh, floating and going with the flow of those tsunamis and those things that would have, would have been taking place on the surface of the waters. I mean, if God can create the world, the cosmos, in seven days, then God can divide the continents uh, with the flood and, and those cataclysmic events. Do you have any definition of what was separated? You just said, don't you, know, you just said the miracle was separated, but what yeah, was it, land? What was it? It doesn't. So let's go there. It's Genesis 11, 16. Now, a, another thing about the Bible. Uh, so we tend to read the Bible, and we want to read it in in chronological order so for instance in genesis 10 uh, genesis 10 gives us the descendants from noah Uh, this is the it begins genesis 10 1 begins with this is the genealogy of the sons of noah shem ham and japheth and the sons were born to them after the flood Uh, so this is kind of the giving us the genealogy of the nations that descended from noah This is not giving us a chronology. And and this is true with ancient writings, and this is true with the Bible. The Bible gives us dates that we need to pay attention to. Uh, But for instance, you have Genesis 10, which gives us the record of the nations that descended from the sons of Noah and their sons. Genesis 11 gives us the record of the Tower of Babel. Um, and that's found in Genesis 11.1 1 through 11.9. But when you get to Genesis 11.10, you have now Shem and his descendants. And so it would be incorrect to read that and believe that Genesis 11.10 in chronology is taking place after the Tower of Babel. And it's division. It's not. It's going back now and giving you the specific genealogy of Shem. Do you understand what I'm saying? So we need to be careful when we read the Bible and not believe that Genesis, you know, Genesis, for instance, Peleg is here. Look at verse 16. Eber lived 34 years and begot Peleg. When we read Genesis 11-11, 16, we need to make sure we understand. Genesis 11:16 is not a record of something that happened after the Tower of Babel. But it says that 34 years after Eber was born, he begot Peleg, and after he begot Peleg, Eber lived 430 years. Now, I'm sorry, where is my spot I'm looking for? Oh, I'm sorry, I'm back up in Genesis 10.25. It's where there's the record of Peleg in the genealogy of Shem, but it's back up in uh, Genesis ten. Verse 25, to Eber were born two sons. The name of one was Peleg, for in his days the earth was divided. And his brother's name was Joktan. So in the days of Peleg, the earth was divided. And what does that mean? It doesn't tell us. Does it mean it was divided physically, geographically, through geology, or was it divided in the sense that God dispersed the nations. I tend to believe that it's dealing more with the dispersal of people. Uh, and, And then it gives us this record of the nations there in Genesis 10. Then we get to the record of the Tower of Babel. And in Usher's timeline, he puts the Tower of Babel happening five years after the birth of Peleg. Uh, This is according to Georgius Sensilis, his translation of Sothius. I couldn't tell you who either of those guys are, but they're ancient historians. And according to ancient history, Peleg was born five years prior to the Tower of Babel, and so somewhere there, around the birth of Peleg, the earth was divided. I'm going to go; just my opinion that this is the division of nations that happened with the Tower of Babel. And now look at this. We looked at this last week, and I. Uh, let me see Uh, Genesis 11 1 now the whole earth had one language and one speech this is post flood and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar so there was a period of time I can't Um, if I could show you a map maybe maybe, let's, let's see if this map has it no it doesn't it doesn't have it but this map does now this is curious Because here's Ararat. And here would be Nineveh. And here would be Babylon. So the Tower of Babel is somewhere down here, near the Euphrates River, where where Babylon, the city of Babylon, would would have been founded. But the Bible, if Ararat, the mountain here, if this is where the ark landed, and there is there is great reason to believe this is where the ark landed, we know Ararat is the name of the mountain that the Bible records. But we're you know we're six thousand years on the other side of creation, or we're four thousand years on the other side of the flood, forty-five hundred years on the other side of the flood. How do we know that really is Mount Ararat? Oh wow. Sorry. So here we are. There's Mer- Ararat, and so Nineveh and Babylon are due south. The Bible, the record in the scripture says in Genesis chapter 11, verse 1 Now the whole earth had one language and one speech, and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east. That they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they dwelt there. Then they said to one another, come let us make bricks, let's bake them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and asphalt for martyr. And they said, come let us build for ourselves a city and a tower. That's Babel. That's going to be somewhere here, which is almost due south of Ararat. But the Bible says they traveled from the east. So if Babel, if the tower of Babel happened five years after the birth of Peleg, let's just say, it was after Peleg's birth. When they came to Babel, it says they. And it's obviously not talking about Noah and his three sons and their wives. It's talking about people who migrated from the east to this area and those people had one language and that people with one language and one speech decided they were going to build a tower into the heavens now is it possible if this really is where the ark landed that that those people migrated somewhere down here and eventually Now look at this, what is is it that you see about this land? This is why it's called the Fertile Crescent. So this land in between these two rivers called Mesopotamia, that's what the Greeks called it, land between two rivers. Why did people settle there? Because it was fertile, because there was water, because there was land. Now somewhere, the Bible says they came from the east, it didn't say they came from the south. So somewhere, they migrated. Somewhere from that mountain, they migrated to the east, and then they traveled west. They traveled from the east, which meant they were traveling west when they came to Babel, to build the Tower of Babel. How much time went by? Enough time for this to be a people who were building cities who had a civilization now we go back to we go back to this record now they they come to the land the the, the land of shinar is what it's called or the plain of shinar Uh, Genesis 11, uh, 2 calls it the land of Shinar. And they dwelt there. And they decided they were going to make a tower, the Tower of Babel. Let's just read the first nine verses Genesis 11. Now the whole earth had one language and one speech, and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. Then they said to one another come let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly they had brick for stone and they had asphalt for martyr and they said come let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens let us make a name for ourselves lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth but the lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built and the lord said indeed the people are one and they all have one language, and this is what they begin to do. Now nothing shall they purpose, nothing they propose will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language, and they, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they ceased building the city." Therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. So how did people get to all these areas of the earth? This is how. This was God's purpose at Babel. Man wanted to congregate, to stay together And God never meant for man to stay in one place. God always meant for man to go fill the earth and take dominion, fill it with the glory of God. Now, um, let's just talk a little bit about, let me see if I can find my, my place here. All right, Usher says here that, talking about the time when Peleg was born and the nations were uh, divided, or the land was divided. says, when this was done, they then went from those eastern parts where they first went from the mountains of Ararat They went from those eastern parts to the valley or the land of Shinar, what we just read in Genesis chapter 11. And here the people impiously conspired as we find in the the Apocrypha. So in the Apocrypha book of wisdom, 10 verse 5, it says that they conspired as we find in the Apocrypha to hinder their dispersion which had been commanded by God and begun by Noah this can be seen by comparing the following verses genesis 11:4 let's read that and they said come let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens genesis 6 And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one, and they all have one language. And this is what they begin to do. Now nothing they propose will be withheld from them. In verses 8 and 9, so the Lord scattered them and uh, dispersed them over the face of the earth. So they cooperated together to build the city and the tower of Babylon. God frustrated this project by the confusion of languages he sent among them. The dispersion of nations followed, and many companies and colonies settled in various places according to their languages. So all those make sense, right? All those who spoke the same language went together and settled together in various parts of the earth. The 13 sons of Joktan, the brother of Peleg, as recorded in Genesis 10:26 through 30, were among the captains and heads of the various companies. These brothers were not yet born when Peleg was born. Eber was only 34 years old when Peleg was born to him. And even if we suppose that Joktan was born when Eber was only 20 years of age, and that Joktan's oldest son was born to him when he was likewise twenty years old, yet still it appears that the oldest son of Joktan must be six years younger than Peleg, so that at least the youngest of those thirteen sons of Joktan, namely Jobab, and three other brothers of his who are mentioned before him, must be younger still. The countries in which they settled, and of which were rich in gold sheba sheba is another ancient name for guess what country ethiopia ophir and Havilah, they were named after these men because of their youth these brothers could not have been capable of such an expedition of leading colonies until some years after ru was born to peli so um Then the Tower of Babel happens five years after the birth of Peleg. And so this dispersion. So we read it in the Bible, and it sounds like this happens very quickly. But when you think about it, you think about all these genealogies, all these sons that have to be born. I mean, and you think of the gestation period of a human being. I mean we're reading this in a few sentences and our mind wants to think this happened like this but the bible gives us the record and we know that this happened over a longer period of time but not billions of years this happened in generations and so from the time of the flood However many generations we get to, to Babel, and then Babel brings about the division, the dispersion of the nations according to their languages. Then generations migrate across the face of the earth that is experiencing an ice age that is now exposing land bridges that enable these langu- these people groups with a common language, to travel far and wide. And you think, well, how long would it take for someone to walk from, you know, modern-day uh, Iraq to Canada? Not as long as you think. I mean, if you think about it, this is how people travel. For most of human history, people walked wherever they went. I mean, Jesus may have ridden a donkey. We know he did coming into Jerusalem. But do you know how Jesus traveled most of the places he went? He walked with his disciples. And the majority of human beings that have ever lived on this earth, well, maybe not now with the multiplication of of humanity, but if you think throughout most of human history, the vast majority of humans walked where they were going. To have a horse, even, you know, when I was in Ethiopia with my pastor friend uh, from Kenya, he was amazed at how many of the poor Ethiopians had horses because his horses are so expensive. You can't afford to own a horse. And so we think, you know, uh, everybody rode a horse. No, they didn't. That'd be like driving one of those expensive pickup trucks today. Uh, You know, no, they walked. They walked, that's how they got around. And so when we think about these generations that are growing and advancing and traveling and filling the earth, this is what God did through that ice age that he brought upon the earth. So, and and then at Babel, dividing the earth and causing humanity to disperse all across this globe now and that dispersion began at babel and we know exactly where babel is it it is where eventually the city of babylon was built and it was right there on the banks of the euphrates river in in what we call modern day iraq so nineveh was north of babylon back on the tigris river and babylon was south of nineveh on the euphrates river and that land between those two rivers was called sumer the fertile crescent so the sumerians so i don't know for some reason i remember learning about the sumers i learned about the the land of sumer and the sumerians in fifth grade when i was in fifth grade And I vividly remember learning about Sumer. It was fascinating to me. And that was a long time ago. But because we know from history and archaeology that the Sumerians, not Samaritans, but the Sumerians, the Sumerians gave us the first evidence of civilization after the flood, archaeologically speaking. And we have the biblical record that Nimrod built cities. Where did he build them? He built them there in the Fertile Crescent. It's where he built them. And so sometime post-flood, you know, we're talking 2000 BC and later, these civilizations begin to emerge in this area we call Mesopotamia or the Fertile Crescent, or then it was called Sumer. Those Sumerians, Um, give us this evidence. What's a civilization? So this is what we learn in fourth grade history. My fourth graders are learning this. They've already learned this. So what's a civilization? A civilization is when you have lots of people living near one another who uh, who depend on one another. So a lot of people living near one another, and each of them are dependent upon one another. In in a very simple form. That's a civilization. And a civilization would include laws and governments and a written language and an economy of trade and commerce, among other things. And all of this existed in Sumer. They dug it up. They have got the record of it. These weren't stupid people. These were very intelligent people. And these things are also evidenced in the Sumerians Uh, who emerged in in this area so the fertile crescent also called mesopotamia by the greeks also called the cradle of civilization now the ethiopians say the cradle of humanity is in their country because that's where lucy was found but the cradle of civilization is here in this fertile crescent in this land called mesopotamia and the culture that we first see civilization emerge in history and archaeology here that we can dig up and study is the sumerians the people of sumer the cities of sumer had laws they had irrigation systems some of the homes even had flushing toilets they had hot and cold running water they produced art as well as calendars they wrote poetry, they had libraries. They were called tablet houses. They had libraries. It's believed that the Sumerians, the people of Sumer, even invented the wheel. It's the Sumerians that are best known for a written language called, anybody know? Cuneiform. And the cuneiform language was about 600 wedge-shaped symbols. This was their alphabet. Think about seeing that alphabet song. 600 characters. That made up the sounds that made up their language. And so the Sumerians invented these symbols, then they would engrave them on clay cylinders. They'd roll those dried cylinders across wet clay and imprint these cuneiform, you know, that that was how they began to print. A very primitive but effective printing press, if you will. You make a cylinder with what you want to say, and then you just roll that cylinder across that wet clay, let it dry. How long does it take to roll a cylinder across wet clay? Not very long. Same with the printing press. How long does it take to set all the type in Gutenberg's printing press? Well, it takes a long time, but once you got it set, you can make a lot of books by just pressing that thing. Well, the Sumerians were doing the same thing about 2300 BC. It just was a different form of the printing press. These were intelligent people. Where did that intelligence come from? It didn't come from a pond of slime somewhere. Billions and billions of years ago, as Carl Sagan would say. No, it came from God. And it existed before the flood, and we see the evidence of it after the flood. The Sumerians also produced large, elaborate structures called ziggurats, not to be confused with cigarettes, okay? You don't smoke these, you climb them, and you bury people in them, and you do other things with them these ziggurats are i used to have one in my my in my classroom i'm so sad they took it apart i had a lego ziggurat i need to rebuild it it was, it was perfect it was a perfect example of what a ziggurat would look like huh did you do that oh, shame on you oh okay but the ziggurat is a tiered structure that looks like a flattened pyramid with steps that These are the precursors to what we see in Egypt with the pyramids. We see ziggurat-like structures where else? Where? Yeah, the Mayans in South America. You go to South America, they call them pyramids, but they're ziggurat structures. And where did those ziggurats first appear? They first appeared in Sumer. The Tower of Babel, it is believed, was a huge Ziggurat. There's actually a place there today that that many believe is the remnant of the Tower of Babel. Uh, And the Tower of Babel would have been just a huge ziggurat. So we're gonna see this as we go through history. We see similarities throughout cultures, throughout histories of cultures. How do these similarities come about? Why do they all, you know, this is one of the crazy things that critics say, and Christians are fall into this. Well, you know, I don't really believe in a great flood because every culture has a flood story. Christians just adopted it from another culture. And I'm like, mm, no. Why do you think every culture has a flood story? And, and I'm telling you, every culture has a flood story. You study the Mayans and the Aztecs, they have a flood story. You study the Samaritans, you study the Babylonians, they all have a flood story. You read the story of Gilgamesh, it's like reading the book of Genesis. I wonder why. Why, do they, why, do, why are they all so similar? Same reason we talked about the houses of the Zodiac. Why, are, why is everybody seeing the same thing? Because everybody can see the same thing? Because I can't see it. You know, I can't see a virgin up there. I can't see a dragon up there. But, but yet, throughout the history of humanity, we have these commonalities throughout the history of man. And we want to say, well, you know, the Christians who believe in the Bible, they just, you know, they're borrowing from other cultures. No, I submit to you that those cultures who came from one place, from one set of parents, who that knowledge was given to that one set of parents, who, whose ancestors now who came from those eight souls that were on the Ark of Noah and all of the people that experienced that flood And that ice age and those descendants who passed those stories down got convoluted with the different cultures and different languages. But what remains is the fact that across time and across cultures, the reason we have flood stories in every culture is because there really was a flood that every culture has a record of. We have the correct record. We have the record that tells us how all of this came about. And I submit that it takes much more faith to believe the evolutionary coincidental, cosmically coincidental, as a matter of fact, mathematically impossible, yet it's not called faith, it's called science. It's not science. It is hogwash. It's a mathematical impossibility. Tell me it doesn't take faith to believe that. And you know what, the Hubble telescope and now the James Webb telescope is showing us that there is even more order and more structure to the universe that the hundreds and millions of billions of years can't be explained by science. And so the Bible continues to prove science every day. I'm just wondering when the scientists will finally come around to what the Bible has been teaching us all along. Because I'm telling you, every day it's being proved. If the actual height of the tower of probably wasn't the, the issue with their intentions, but just wondering how the height they think to reach into the. Well, they they set it into the heavens, so it would have to have been pretty high. Somebody did some engineering on that with that type of materials they had and their construction methods. It it becomes with at least five thousand feet or more that possibly could. That they they would would have tried to build. Yeah. Logistics knowledge. It It would have been had to have been high. Yeah. they all wanted to stay there, I guess. You know, whatever their intention was, uh, the, we know that according to the scriptural record, according to historical records, uh, extra-biblical writings, the intention was to not do what God had told them to do, which was to disperse and, and go and fill the earth. And God confused the language and drove them to that dispersion because that was His will for humanity, and we have the world we have today because of it. And we're going to talk. You know, we'll talk more about the Tower of Babel when we get later on in history, and we look, for instance, at the Day of Pentecost and what God did in reengineering. And um, God had a purpose in the Tower of Babel, uh, and we'll we'll just kind of start there next week and move forward. Um, any any questions or any thoughts this week about any of this. Questions? Do you have a question? Do you have a thought? No? Okay. Oh, okay. I've... Anyone? I'm still amazed that the fountains of the great people were broken up. I have no idea. You did not? I, I meet Christians frequently you did not know that either. <laughs> I mean, maybe I did at one time. you know, like, we went to the Ark Encounter, so I'm sure I read it. Oh, yeah. But it did not stick in my head. So, I meet so many Christians who believe that the flood happened because it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. And they're thinking, that's impossible. I don't care if it did rain 40 days and 40 nights. There's no way it could flood the earth. Well, he could, but the point is the biblical record says... I know. I believe you. I'm just saying we're thinking of like a light rain. Yeah, no. Well, I'm thinking if you think of the heaviest rain you can, yeah, I mean, the biblical, that's where you need to read the Bible. There's a lot of Christians who believe they know the Bible that they've never read because they've heard stories or they've read the storybook Bible or they've read, you know, no, read your Bible and read it carefully It teaches you all kinds of things that are amazing. And that's another example. That science through drilling technology. That now proves the earth is filled with more water inside than it is on top. Proves that. Yes, when that water came out, it flooded the earth. And then it went right back where it came from. It's amazing. Any other thoughts? Any other questions? Yes. What did you say about... Seasons in Ethiopia? Oh, like when I was there in October, uh, we were v- much closer to the equator, so they were coming into their summer. Okay. You- we were leaving winter, coming into their summer. Okay. I, you said the other way around I was- did it first. Yes. Did it. Yeah, no, they're they're leaving they're you're leaving their winter right? and coming into their yeah, summer. In the but even though it should have been much warmer, it's was my high elevation in the there in Ethiopia that. Yeah. All right. Any other any other thoughts, questions? All right. Uh, anything I, I need your feedback. So uh, again, there is so much here. Um, we're going to try really hard to not get bogged down. But I need to know what would be helpful for you. Uh, I want to try to find and create more visuals for you. Um, and so if you let me know, what might be more helpful for you. Um, please do that. Uh, I, what I want to do is give you those things that you can build a, a, a notebook and, and have your own timeline if you'd like that. Um, so I'll, uh, I'll do that each week for you to be able to put that in a folder and, and, and work with that. Anything else? All right.